Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Could ever learn to love a beast. Welcome, one and all, to Be Real. And forevermore, we're your Be Real guys. I'm Chance Sullen Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. This is still, by a slightly abbreviated name, your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. Absolutely. No- Noah, care to comment on the name change? Maybe a little quicker? A little you sharper? Know, new, new name, same great taste. Same. Same great taste uh, when a couple of white dudes get together to talk about movies. Doesn't have to be in the title, too. But everyone, keep being real. Um, What brings us here today? How are you? What's shaking? What's shaking? Um, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm hanging in there. You know, just uh, did some travel, finished up with that. Back in New York, back in the Brooklyn studio. Um, Just had a nice dinner with some friends. You know, Great. things are going pretty good. Going to watch the Big Little Lies finale probably after this. You been keeping up with that? Oh, I'm I'm way invested. I want to know who's going to die. Okay. I think it's going to be my girl, Laura Dern. I don't know. Mm, I hope Dr. Sadler makes it out. You know? Wh- how, who's going to call wh- the State Department when you fall into the <laughs> river? <laughs> A great reference to a previous... <laughs> be real episode (laughs) um but what brings us here today to this episode is uh disney's thirst for profit i think yeah so it's there's been a a spate i would say of nice movies that have come out that have been live action parenthetically sort of uh Mm -hmm. versions of disney movies that like i grew up on and in some cases like our parents grew up on yeah yeah. Um, so we focused because of Beauty and the Beast just coming out. We focused on Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. uh, the Jungle Book, which came out last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, which and there's another Jungle Book on the way. FYI, I saw that today on John Favreau's IMDb With Benedict page. Cumberbatch. Why not? <laughs> I think he's a Shere Khan this time. Really, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then and our then third movie. Our third movie just goes back a ways. A movie I actually saw when I was a kid and loathed yeah. it then. And you didn't don't like feel it much, then? Don't feel much different about it now. Um, oh. Was the live action 101 Dalmatians. There you go. Remake. So that's our th- When is that? 96? Yeah. That's our throwback to kind to of weigh, weigh it into this. Uh, Maybe some people remember. I think this movie did pretty well. Mm-hmm. Oh, despite, yeah. Despite the fact that it's you know, torturous to get through. <laughs> we'll talk about all that. Beauty and the Beast. This remake from uh, from Bill Condon and from Disney came out, uh, I think about two weeks ago. It made a boatload of money. Oh, made a ton uh, of cash. It's definitely, I mean, it's going to creep up toward the half billion dollar mark. Yeah, um, ever just the same. <laughs> My favorite part of reading reviews was seeing where everyone got in their tale as old as time joke. I know yeah. I got... Mine in and mine. Um, Perfect. 
Pale as old as capitalism. I. <laughs> where do we start? So this is a remake well, of the 1991 start, movie. Right. Let's start there. The yeah. much beloved first ever animated picture, uh, best picture nominee of the Oscars. A neoclassic. Yeah. I mean, you take literally a tale as old as time as Angela Lansbury sings. Mm-hmm. You put in a lot of like great classically trained actors and actresses who are good at doing voices. And then you take like the best animation, like hand-drawn animation that money can buy, take a Broadway composer and put together this musical that has like that very Disney thing of being both good for kids because it's a simple story and easy to follow. And there's like enough goofiness, but also enough depth, you know, to be you know, entertaining to the parents. Yeah, that was a real hot streak uh, for Disney, for all the things you mentioned, from Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King, I think the right. order is, in terms of um, voice acting talent and just these incredible musical uh, numbers that go with mm-hmm. basically fables. Right. Then um, got, yeah, and then you have more, like Pocahontas, Hercules. <laughs> The music remains good, but those, you know, that's that's sort of like where it's. I think Hercules contains get... the best song of any Disney movie. Which is? Oh, I can go the distance. Sometimes I just put that on. <laughs> Sometimes when you really I just need put to that feel on. Like you can go the distance. Sometimes I put that on just if I need to feel that I can go the distance. So after the success of this movie, critically and box office wise, some years later they have decided to remake it using sort of live action and sort of digital. It's sort of a, you know, a 2017 Who Framed Roger Rabbit sort of a movie. <laughs> yes. Where you have Emma Watson running around a green screen. Yeah. Um, and this is supposed to cash in on, it's the same songs from the original. Yep. Plus two more. Yes. Two more big ones. Which are markedly um, worse, I would say. They're horrible. They're throwaway <laughs> songs. Yeah, they're totally throwaway. I'm going to climb the castle evermore. Like, that's not a song. Like, you don't need a song as you're, like, watching her go away. That should be, like, two shots. Like, her, like... That's And that's the thing about this movie. It's so long. And I have to say, like, because for me it holds such a special place in my heart, I the animated one, I went into this movie pretty cold. My dear Belle... You're so ahead of your time. This is a small village. You are the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. Nobody deserves you. And it's small-minded as well. But small also means safe. I will escape, I promise. That mentality of coldness is applicable all over here because there's just, I mean, there's a real lack of imagination going on here. Like, these are these are money grabs and especially with beauty and the beast you have this feeling that the uh the disney imagineers have been turned into uh, algorithm generators for like cashing in on peak nostalgia like people who are you know saw this movie in 1991 now can bring their four-year-old kids and we can make half a billion dollars um so it's really easy to see that i would say what this movie does to counteract that 
And let's just talk about the approach that these remakes take toward their source material. This one, I think, is largely so faithful and the kind of um, the kind of feelings it wants you to have about the castle and about romance and about grandeur are exactly the same as Beauty and the Beast. So it's just trying to shoot an arrow that hit the bullseye through the arrow that's already there. And I think it, I think it comes close. The the emotions that it raises, I I think are pretty on the mark. No. Um, <laughs> oh wow. That's 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 a mistake. That's the wrong opinion to have of this movie. Um, okay. I found the movie. Tell me if you would disagree with this. The movie, like the cinematography, didn't make sense to me. I thought all the shots were like weirdly framed. I thought specifically the biggest crime I think visually of the this movie as opposed to the animated one is when it, they go into the castle's library and for the first time ever Belle sees like a lot of books in one place and she's a total like book person, bookophile mm-hmm. and there's this expansive like panoramic shot of all these books and how like breathtaking she is by the whole thing. And this one, it like doesn't, it thinks the chandelier is the coolest thing in the shot (laughs) and not all Uh these books. And then when it comes back to Emma Watson, it's like, what are you freaking out about that candelabra? We don't, we didn't even see any books. We just saw these like weird, it's not the same. It, It misunderstands like what's charming about the first movie. You know, it's like so tone deaf to like the beats that these characters should have. So then Emma Watson doesn't have much to do on screen, like emotionally. Like I didn't let me when the cartoon bell at the end, we don't have to spoil Beauty and the Beast at the end when like the beast is like half dead and she's like, I love you. Like in the cartoon one, that's moving when Emma Watson, like, you know, starts like, you know, lightly petting uh, CGI Dan (laughs) Stevens. And like doing her little cry thing. It's just like, I don't care. I don't think you're in love with this beast. I don't think the spell is broken. That seems like a very subjective read. What do you mean? I thought she did fine. I thought she was perfectly capable of... That's the thing. It was just fine. But like the original Beauty and the Beast was like magical. Yeah. Like just the cast there. Like... Of course they cast, like, Emma Thompson as, like, a poor person's Angela Lansbury. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, such a safe choice. Like, let's get someone who is the equivalent to this person, but not any better or not any different. Like, of course they got Josh Gad to, like, play LeFou. Yeah. Like, give me the LeFouiest person you've got. Have you seen the animated film? Give me a live <laughs> actor who looks the most like this person. Well, that's exactly what the Emma Watson and Luke Evans casting is, too. Everything's safe. Everything's so, like, this is the review they made in 1992. Like, there's right. nothing about 2017 other than, like, the okay CGI that you never forget is CGI. Right. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean... I. I think you might be more upset, but I don't think we're I don't think we're that far apart. I just think this is like very capable and like a tastefully redone reimagining. I think if yeah. you I think if your opinion is going to come down to like whether or not you think like it should even exist. And I think if it's in front of me, I say like fine. Well, like well, well done even, but like they're not bringing anything new. I like the little, I do like the small, like logical extensions of. Oh, the, like the Paris scene. 
No, I thought that was really dumb. Oh, then what um, are you talking about? The the dead mom origin story is like the most like forced, you know. It's like the like the fifth Jason Bourne movie. It's like maybe Jason Bourne should have a dead dad so he means something to us. Right. Um, but no, like the little logical extensions of um the beast like teasing her for liking Romeo and Juliet or the idea that like he is like an educated member of the royal class and that like she would be into that like that's a good like oh so you just took what was already there and then like thought about it a little bit more and sketched the character in like a slightly extended direction and I even kind of like the fact that um I mean the fact that anyone made anything of it is stupid but the fa- the idea that like LeFou is in love with Gaston is, is just is like a he pr- yes I don't see I went into this what? movie okay I the other thing I need to talk about in this movie is like the like the gay controversy around it well there's no controversy but he's definitely in love with gaston i went in thinking like there's like he's he's in love with him and like he's you know he's homosexual but he's he i don't think he is i think the only moment i saw it he's just like a lonely person who's like hanging on to this other guy and doesn't want him to settle down is the read that i got on him He's and always then, like pawing at him and like hoping that women in the village like don't get with him so he can have him to himself. He's clearly in love with Gaston. I don't know if I saw that. And the other thing too is the only like f- the only thing I saw was in the end with the dance sequence when he like is matched up with a guy. Right. But then they're like they're like that gay moment, quote unquote, was like them not being horrified that they're two men touching. You know, like that's not a I didn't feel like what like what what was the gay moment that everyone was talking about? Uh, that was it. That was it. That was it. This incidental touching during the end dance sequence. Yeah, but but Josh Gad definitely played up this idea that like a slightly effeminate, sycophantic early nineteenth century character who's always fawning after a large war hero is like into this guy in a way that like society doesn't allow him to express. I think that's like fairly subtle. But I think it's just like a smart little, oh, yeah, of course that LeFou is probably gay. But, like, you don't have to make a whole thing. They don't make a whole thing out of it. I saw him as more of, like, an E or turtle of, like, <laughs> Gaston's entourage. <laughs> okay. So you're just saying it's like the original. And I also like the, like, slightly more drawn-out portrayal of, of Gaston as, like, the quarterback who like led his team to the high school state championship, but never left. Like I right. thought that was pretty cool. And he's like hanging around the bar and all the, the townies who cheer him up with the song. So I think there are smart, small it's, things. It's almost other- like you wrote the Vanessa Hudgens high school version of beauty and the beast. <laughs> Just a bit. If we're talking about like weird subplots of the new one or like weird ch- changes in the new one, as opposed yeah. to the old one, I miss like the weird, uh, asylum director like and then like the whole because they hatch a plan in the original one and this one it's just sort of incidental like uh no you tried to murder me kind yeah. of thing which is not the from the original and i thought it was more interesting in the original when it shows how like crafty gaston is mm-hmm. you know because and then because they don't have that they criminally cut out the exchange between the two of them lefou i'm afraid i've been thinking a dangerous pastime <laughs> i know <laughs> like that is just it's like why would you cut out that plot line like cut out the paris bullshit like have the crazy asylum guy yeah the sanitarium crazy keeper. old maurice <laughs> crazy 
crazy old Maurice. So nobody got a more flattering re-representation than Maurice. Well, because yeah. in the original, the animated character looks like 80-year-old Dennis Franz. Yep. And he's now played by <laughs> Kevin Klein. Yeah. Who's just so like... Who's still, still heartbroken dashing. from losing his wife like 20 years earlier. I just think that like the songs are still great. Luke Evans but is having the time. Like, the- didn't they seem like the songs have been rearranged in a more sparse way? I didn't get that. If you, you you'll you'll hear it if you pick, uh, listen to the soundtrack, which is on Spotify, mm. and you compare the two, that the the melodies are slightly, they're like sort of playing behind the melody. It's interesting how they've been rearranged. I thought they sounded a lot like the theatrical versions. No. I disagree with you. No, it says it, no. It compared to the 1991 cast recording. Um, By the way, did you, you, if you haven't seen the video of Jerry Orbach performing Be Our Guest I was live at the 1992 Oscars. I was literally going to say that just now. <laughs> it's amazing. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, Good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good, good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again. Like watching The Departed, or Jaws, or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good, good movies make Noah say... Love that. Bad, bad is easy, too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good, bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good, bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say, I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, bad good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos. It's late career Billy Joel. It's movies like Christmas Vacation. Honey? Kids? And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, But it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. I'm going to have to go ahead and say that this movie... You coming down hard against, huh? I'm going to have to say this movie's good bad. Good bad. Good, bad. I think that they took fine source material, made a perfectly serviceable movie um, that earned them a boatload of cash and was technically fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't anything wowing about it, but it was fine. It was a well made movie. So technically, I think it's good, but I thought it was boring. I thought it didn't do anything new. I thought it was 40 minutes too long. I would say exactly the opposite. I would fault it for a complete failure of imagination, um, which I would say makes it sort of like technically unambitious. But in terms of its fidelity to the original and its ability to evoke the exact same feelings and like visuals in a slightly updated way that it just... if If for some reason you want something to remind you like 75% I like the original and then go watch the original. Like, Why don't you I just watch per- the original? I think it's perfectly capable. Why don't they just re-release the original? Why do they go they through the... They already did that. <laughs> they should do it again. <laughs> no, I think what you just said is bullshit, but we can move on. 
Well, you think it's bullshit. That's harsh. I, I think you're giving this movie, I think you're giving the capitalist bullshit of this movie I just too much credit. I just gave it a first bad because of that lack of... But you're going to say it's bad good, aren't you? That's what I just said. I don't like that. That's fine. Do you want to move on to 101 Dalmatians, a movie we probably will agree on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, 1996. Yeah, this is the remake of the 1961? Yes. 1961, 101 Dalmatians. Um, I, I had this a funny realization, and I texted you about it, Chance, when we were watching it. Like, 101 Dalmatians is not necessarily... Maybe it's like... It's incidentally in this genre, but you know what it is. It's a dog picture. It's like a mid-90s dog picture. It's not a Disney remake of an animated classic. It's trying to cash in on, like, Homeward Bound. The protagonist of the film, these films, is kind of Jeff Bridges and uh, Jolie Richardson, but kind of, or Jeff Daniels, rather, mm-hmm. and Jolie Richardson. Um, but the dogs, the dogs are the protagonists of this movie. And I don't, I mean, I have a dog. Dogs are fine, but like, <laughs> the, these are not real dogs. No. The, oh, they are. And that's, they're real dogs because like it's 1996 and they don't know how to like make CGI dogs, except when they're going down the little chute, the, the drain pipe. And then right. it's just like, it's almost like cartoon. That's yeah. not even like CGI. That That's just like paper over, uh, like pencil over paper or something. <laughs> Coming to theaters this Thanksgiving. <laughs> One of Disney's all-time animated favorites comes to life. 101 Dalmatians, featuring 101 of the furriest and funniest stars you've ever seen. Versus the meanest, nastiest, and most outrageous Disney villain of all, Cruella DeVille. So if you don't know the story of 101 Dalmatians, which actually this could be valuable because for the life of me, for the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was just like, how do they get to 101 Dalmatians again? Does Perdita have 99 puppies? No, she has 15. And then in Cruella DeVille's evil plot, she rounds up whatever, like 84 more. So Anita, played by Jolie Richardson, works for Cruella DeVille. She's like a fashion designer for this like mogul Cruella DeVille I guess is a mogul yeah she's sort of an early version of uh Meryl Streep's character from the Devil Wears Prada yeah yeah and Roger played by Jeff Daniels designs video games because that's the thing about this movie that I didn't love if we can get into it just from the opening of it let's do it is just that it's so stylized in such weird places when it doesn't have to be like there's no reason that the like the room like the her office space Cruella Deville like needs to look like a Joel Schumacher Batman villain lair. <laughs> it definitely looks like that. It it can just look like a really like expensive office space, and like the movie wouldn't lose any resonance. But like that, she has like a a, a throne that she sits on. And it's just like a very the the deck the, the set decoration choices. I think were like it kept me from feeling anything other than these people are cartoonier than the fucking dogs on screen. Because frankly, the only good performances in this movie are from the dogs. Well, 
See, I'm I have to disagree because like as is, I think the cartoonish over the topness is the only thing worth watching. I mean, they could make it more of a straight drama, but then that would require a script and like stuff for the humans to do. So I yeah. guess it just depends on like what you're going to ask of this movie that it's not going to give to you. See, but that's like the thing about the the original animated movie is that like it looks that way because it's a cartoon, but otherwise it's a pretty like reasonable movie in terms of like suspension of disbelief. Don't you think like, here's this woman who's just so obsessed with fashion and she doesn't care about animals at all that she would like skin some dogs and like make a thing out of it. And she realizes that her assistant who's designed this thing is like having these puppies. So she like steals it and like wants to make this coat. And here's this couple who's like kind of poor and they're together and they have this cute little get together love story. And they both love dogs and they both have Dalmatians. Like how cute. But, like, those are, like, interesting to me, like, character stuff that could bump up against each other in a logical yeah. way. Like, it was a crime in this movie that they picked that ridiculous Home Alone 2-level violence sequence with her in that barn yeah. instead of, like, having her get into a horrible car crash like they do in the animated film. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because, like, a good you point. want that car, that really nice car that you see in all these shots to, like, be destroyed. That's, like, yeah. a satisfying thing about the cartoon. Yeah, her extra long Bentley. Um, it's just its choices are so bizarre, and it, it. But John Hughes, of course, like co-wrote this movie. That's why it's so much like Home Alone. Yeah, that's the yeah. thing. It's half Devil Wears Prada, half Home Alone <laughs> too, but like with dogs. Oh man, I mean, Glenn Close is like, she's going for it, but like it is completely nonsensical. Oh, like, yeah. Well, the, she's, like, hot off her Tony Award from, like, Norma Desmond, Sunset Boulevard. She's like, I'm going for the Oscar now. Like, wah! <laughs> and in the... Like, the she the first time she talks to Anita, she's like, yeah, we're gonna have puppies. And she says, it would be as if I was wearing your dog! Ah! And it's like, Jesus. Like, we didn't need to... Should we have built up to that? Well, okay, so that's my... That was my mention earlier about, like, is this movie called Cruella de Vil? Because this movie has this this idea that it wants to make it, like, maleficent for Cruella de Vil. Because it's right. so interested in her. And Glenn Close looms so largely on the poster and all the branding for this movie. And if you remember that. But it has no... But it doesn't want to, ex- like, expand that character at all. That character is... No, there's no more backstory than the cartoon. Everyone other than Glenn Close is, like, playing it realistic. But for some reason, they put her in that, like, insane outfit. Yeah. And, like... Everyone else also seems miserable, though. Jeff Daniels seems so depressed that he has to talk to Pongo over and over again. Pongo! 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 (laughs) Oh, my God. And I just... I don't think... Can I make a... Can I give you my hot take on Jeff Daniels? Sure. I don't think Jeff Daniels is attractive enough to carry this movie. No. Cartoon Roger is much hotter than he is. Cartoon Roger's like big and handsome and like lanky and like playing the piano. This guy's like slightly overweight, um, <laughs> a video game designer. Oh yeah, and Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Like I mean, he's a fine actor, don't get me wrong, but you needed like at worst like a like a Jack Black type, if you wanted to go that At way. At worst, yeah. Or what would have been better, much better, is like young Kevin Klein would have been amazing as Roger. Yeah, a young Kevin Klein, or like even like a if you wanted to wait a few years and give it to like McConaughey. McConaughey's kind of like big and awkward and goofy <laughs> and handsome. 
<laughs> McConaughey in London. Pongo. 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 Um yeah, the most winning scene from the original movie by far, I think, is when Carell is coming over and Roger, despite Anita's protest, he's a jingle writer in the first in the original movie. And he like he writes the song, Cruella Deville, Cruella Deville, if she doesn't scare you. And he's upstairs like tapping on the piano and playing the trumpet while Cruella's down there. And he's like, you have to stop playing this jingle about my boss while she's here. It's a really adorable scene. Yeah. Um, what about like even like a young David Hyde Pierce? <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's great. Bring it on. Bring it and on. And then he still is the jingle writer and then he sings and plays the piano. Yeah. I know I really liked this movie when I was eight, for whatever that's worth. But I hate the thing in kids' movies where adults are forced to behave so goddamn irrationally. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, Jolie Richardson is completely oblivious to like her boss, who's basically like female Harvey Dent. Right. And they get married immediately. And then someone is like oh their nanny is just like are you guys planning on settle or like having a kid soon and anita's like no we don't really want to settle down it's like you just got married moments after meeting each other that's what settling well, that's down the weird is. thing about this movie is that like in the cartoon there's a better sort of transition to show that a lot of time has passed between yes. these events and it was this movie doesn't have that yeah, yeah no this movie has the whole thing is probably in my mind a week yeah you know yeah they meet they get married they meet on a Monday. They get married on a Tuesday. All these puppies come on a Wednesday. Yeah. You know? And so the behavior of the adults is just ludicrous, especially the nanny. At the end, right. <laughs> I texted you. I just lost my shit when the, so the 15 dogs are back, which are the puppies. F- 15 dogs in a flat. You have any idea how disgusting that would be? <laughs> and the cops are like, Oi, could you take like 84 more puppies? And the, yeah. and the nanny's just like, What's a few more? What's 80 more dogs? <laughs> <laughs> are you out of your mind? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Oh my god so thinking about ways to improve this movie i think this movie just would have been a lot better if they just have the internal unanimated homeward bound dialogue for the dogs oh well that's yeah that's the weird choice this movie makes that there's like a a 10 minute sequence where you just have to understand animals based on their body language during the twilight bark sequence which only makes sense if you've seen the original i yeah. think and start- it's like, what are these dogs? I mean, you get that they're communicating, but like, <laughs> why? What, 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 what sort of social order is in place here that they're just like barking like across towns? Like you need that, like, you need the, the voices, I think. Yeah, I don't see why they're not there. Pongo and Pedita and the puppies could talk in the original. Yeah. And the, the moment you're describing is the start of like the second act of the movie. And that's just like right. where it loses me completely. 100%. Um, can I ask you some stray questions? Let's hear it. Um, when Cruella says to Roger, so they've just said we're having a baby and Roger says, we're also having puppies. And she says, puppies, you have been a busy boy. Is she (laughs) implying that he fucked the dog? Yeah. No, I think like if you want to if you want to boil it down to its simplest, I think she's implying that like he fucked the dog, which is a, a 
quite an insult to sneak into a G-rated movie. Or they've like, you know, set up some like weird breeding operation. I don't know. Okay, there's that. Occam's razor, I think she, she means he's <laughs> fucking the dog. <laughs> um, did every woman in 1996 in London have Lady Di's haircut? I would imagine so. That seems historically accurate. Isn't it kind of cool that Hugh Laurie looks like Father John Misty meets Dick Van Dyke in this movie? Yeah. That's pretty cool, right? He really wants to... That's the worst part about this movie is that, like, I can tell that Hugh Laurie really wants his own song. Yeah, <laughs> he really does. Like, he's dressed like he should have his own song. I have to say, that the, the only line that lived up to my memory is when they go to Skinner's and Hugh Laurie's like, there's one thing I have to tell you. Do not mention the scar. And he opens the door and Mark Williams is like, would you get a load of that bloody scar? <laughs> it's pretty, that's like one of the funny, the, one the, of the only, only funny. Things that's <laughs> the only thing good. in the movie. There's some good humor there, but like, I feel like this movie again is like so very safe. Oh yeah. And I like, I knew I was in for trouble when I like clicked play and this, all these movies are on something except for Beauty and the Beast, which is still in the theaters. Um, this one's on HBO. Oh, is it that that company that doesn't exist anymore? Oh, I was gonna just say the this movie's rated G. Oh yeah. Like, oh G. You Ugh. gotta you gotta go PG for the thematic elements at least. Yeah, give me some like disturbing images or something. <laughs> this movie's running pretty low on peril and thematic elements. All right. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um. Yeah. So can we can we just call this one a bad bad and move on? I want this one to be like a bad good so bad, but it's not. It's not. It's a it's a bad bad. It like it dances like towards a line of like cult bad, mm-hmm. but it never crosses it, which is upsetting. It that's exactly right. It's not so bad. It's good. It's just just it's just so bad. Yeah. Well, should we get to the Jungle Book? And why did you want to do the Jungle Book last? Is that? Is there logic there? I wanted to do The Jungle Book last because I think The Jungle Book is the one that is its relationship to the original is the most interesting. Like, I think Beauty and the Beast is trying to be exactly like 1991 Beauty and the Beast. I think that 101 Dalmatians is trying to, like, make sort of like a merry sort of like craziness with, like, in vogue 90s dog movie. But I think the Jungle Book has like a strange relationship to the original. Yeah, it has a weird faithfulness and also like this weird obligation to be the movie that I wanted 101 Dalmatians to be, which is like very self-serious. Yeah. And it comes out. Well, I'm surprised you didn't want to do Beauty and the Beast, Jungle Book, and then 101 Dalmatians because you can transition from complete musical to not really a musical at all, but there's still a song in it kind of thing. Right, right. Where this one, I think the weirdest choice is like whether or not this one's a musical. Do you agree? It is really strange. And the phrase that I sort of, in addition to the obvious money-making motivations, I kind of felt like the Jungle Book had like a little bit of a, a creative greed to it that couldn't be hidden. It's just like, I, I want to do everything. I want to update its language to modern parlance. I want to make a powerful, muscular-looking action movie. I want to have a couple songs and a little goofiness. Um, I want to make Shere Khan like sort of a nationalist revenge character. And I want to drive home that Mowgli actually belongs in the jungle. Like, it just wants to do everything. Right. And it kind of, I don't know, half does everything. 
but it still like has the same, it has the same problem for me that Beauty and the Beast does just right off the bat, which is this is not a live action movie. This is like who framed Roger Rabbit again. Yeah. Like as good as the CGI gets, like it's not real. That's like what the one thing I liked about 101 Dalmatians is like, well, those dogs look real. You know why? Because they're real. They're mm-hmm. real dogs that are trained. And like that just looks better. It's of course more expensive and takes more time. But in terms of like these sorts of movies, like this one didn't even pretend that it like mixed in footage of real animals and like no. everything is CGI. Right. And that to me, like, I mean, I didn't love Avatar either. And that's like the hook <laughs> of that movie. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't see the artistry of digital in the same way that this movie believes I do. Well, I think it worked better in Beauty and the Beast because, I don't know, it's more interesting for me to see the way in which you created like a Parisian candlestick out of whole cloth than it is for you to make a lifelike panther that has to move its mouth to talk. It's just a, it's like, a whole movie full of uh, wild foxes. Yes. Yeah. It sinks pretty far into the uncanny valley when like these animals that are as realistic as they can possibly make them have to move their mouths to talk to Mowgli. Right. I can't help but notice there's this strange odor today. Man is forbidden. Run, Mowgli. is no longer safe for you. But this is my home. Only man can protect you now. So the Jungle Book, of course, is the story of uh, Mowgli in the in the Indian jungles with uh, all of his jungle friends. He's raised by a pack of wolves, um, but his sort of like godfather is Bagheera the Panther, here voiced by Ben Kingsley. He's of course going to meet Blue the Bear. Um, who in the 1967 version that had to be like a riff on hippy dippy characters, um, here voiced by Bill Murray, uh, Shere Khan, the tiger is uh, voiced by Idris Elba, um, yeah, and it's just Shere Khan wants Magli Wait, out. The, you forgot the snake. Oh, the snake, Scarjo. That's Scarjo quite, is Ka. That's quite a vocal performance as Ka. Um, oh, and, <laughs> and Christopher Walken is King Louis. <laughs> Um, the Louis Armstrong like downshift to Christopher Walken's a weird choice. But... Louis Prima, but I'm with oh, you. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, yes. Oh, it's and quite a downshift. Um, but so in this movie, I think another adaptation problem it has, and maybe this is only for me, someone who's like looking at it too closely and and not probably not what a little kid wants. Obviously, you could say that about anything we've talked about today, but. I feel like the original movie, and if you've ever read any of Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Book stories, they're very kind of like incidental and like fable and lesson oriented. And the movie is just like, here's this character. They've got a little song. They've got a little intro, like meet them, see how they relate to Mowgli. And this movie in the vein of like, hey guys, I just got done making an Iron Man movie and producing all of them. It's got a real plot. And Shere Khan, of course, like, has to get revenge because Mowgli's dad burned him before he killed Mowgli's dad. Like, it's a very, like, superhero 
like way to storyboard a plot. Oh sure. Yeah, which I I found very boring. Yeah, it's pretty easy and well. That's the my overarching thing with the all three of these movies is like, despite how ambitious they may seem, they're all pretty boring and pretty safe because they're pretty. They're all sort of tales as old as time. Mm-hmm. But this one, yeah, it has more technical ambition than I would say the previous two do. So you have to give it some kudos, Jungle Book, for endeavoring to be like a fully rounded picture. Yeah, Favreau is still, I think his best moments are these set piece moments that you know he's capable of. The first time Bagheera like scraps with Shere Khan and like j- deflects him out of the tall grass is quite a moment. And uh, so too is king louis like crashing through his own temple like these are these are pretty invigorating moments of visual effect action yeah no he's i mean he's a very good action movie director it's when he has to deal with drama that yeah. like it becomes difficult and can i say i hate to pick on child actors but we do Did- a movie podcast <laughs> um i don't think this Mowgli was like very good Oh, definitely I not. mean, he's given, like, in his defense, he's been given an impossible task, is he's the only human on yeah. screen. And he's probably just, like, walking around a green screen studio, like, touching stuff, like, pretending it's wood and pretending things are there and he's talking to them. But, like, just the way he talks is so, like, affected and weird. It's closer to uh, Jake Lloyd than, say, Corvengine Wallace. And also, I want to ask you about, like, this this problem that, like, these remakes inherently have and most mostly beauty and the beast and jungle book is there's this temptation to like update the language and update the diction and update like some of like the especially like where snark is concerned like a lot of josh gad's lines in beauty and the beast um and i just think that it like when you're going to the well to remake a movie that like linguistically was relevant 50 years ago, the best thing you can like the best case scenario for me, a la beauty and the beast is just like a recreation. So why would you break the spell of all you, all you, all you're going for is spell recreation. So like they, they want to break this spell to like give kids someone who sounds like a kid now. And I think I find it incredibly like a bad idea yeah it's a tough script it's a tough script um and you know what i thought was kind of like the final slap in the face of this movie what's that at the end the camera pans out and it it's a book and the book closes just like the original and that was just that made me very and then it was like a game of thrones like cartoon thing in the book yeah, which felt even more out of place because of what I said. Like, this movie is not sort of like, it's not Tales from the Jungle. It's like yeah. Mowgli the Epic Child. Right. It's like After Earth. Yeah, it's like After Earth. Um, you touched on this earlier, but let's talk about voice actors. Because okay. part of the, I want to talk about who's good and who's bad specifically in Jungle Book. But I do feel like another spot where it's just like, your capitalism is showing is that the old like the old versions of these movies have such talented theatrical voice actors who are not celebrities like the Sterling Holloways and the Phil Harrises and mm-hmm. like even like Jerry Orbach who like yes was detective Briscoe but like spent most of his time on Broadway and sort of this this idea that like 
let's get parents in the door by having like Scar Joe and Lupita Nyong'o and Idris Elba like like voice these. Th- let's go see the latest Elba picture. <laughs> okay, so it's not the most waterproof point, uh, but. But yeah, it's definitely a different mentality. Celebrities need to voice yeah. these characters for these new Disney films. How do you think they do? I thought for the first few minutes that it was Ray Fiennes and not Ben, ben Kingsley as I Bagheera. Mean, what's the difference? What's the difference, really? Um, yeah, I kind of thought that Idris Elba like didn't do a very good job. Can I say that? He was like way toned down and then he would just be like, Wah! <laughs> see, it's like, I thought that he, what he was doing was fine, but it was very incongruous, like with where Sheer Khan was on the screen at the moment of his talking. Right. Like yeah. I wanted him to be frankly more uh beast of no nation. <laughs> like uh-huh. his, his points like kind of made sense, but you knew he was like hit rage in his heart. Sure. Sure. Um, and then ScarJo, that the whole thing was gross. It was gross. I thought that it was like a like because if you put ScarJo in there, you're you're hiring her for her like smoky, sexy voice, right? And the whole like trust in me, like eyeball thing, and then like him getting like coiled and like her consuming him, like it's all very <laughs> sexual. That's interesting. And I just I thought it was like a like a just a just a hair icky. A hair icky. I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like. You know, there's no one who I think who's more deserving of parts and should get them than Lupita Nyong'o. But, but like her playing the Mama Wolf in this movie, like it's not a good vocal performance. Like, what's the point? Like, just get get a voice actor, right? And she's like, it's some of the cheesiest lines in the movie too. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's all very like. This is a. Let me tell you about my moral code mm-hmm. and what yours should be. Yeah. And I'm your mother. I really liked how they didn't require Christopher Walken to sing during his song. <laughs> he sort of like Neil Diamond did his way through. Yeah. I want to be a man, man, cub. <laughs> I want to walk like you. <laughs> Talk like you. It's true. Woo woo. <laughs> it's not a very thoughtful movie. Like there's really only one thing to think about in the Jungle Book, right? Like one major theme which is, can man be an animal? Can he coexist with animals? Or does his inherent kind of temptation toward human destruction make that cohabitation impossible? And there are a lot of scenes of him like, like, no, Mowgli, like, be a person in the jungle. Like, it, it, kind of like an identity politics read. Like, you can be yourself in the jungle, Mowgli. Just be the best of you. But I don't think it really does a good job of examining, like, can he be with these people? Because at the end of the original, he goes, he follows the girl to the village. Like, it's very traditional. Right. It's just like, no, no, no. Kids got to live in the village, no matter how much fun he had. Yeah. It's it's a weirdly, it's weird why that movie ends the way it does and this one ends the way it does. Couldn't they have done something with Mowgli's humanity that was, that Shere Khan could then point to? I mean, he does eventually when Mowgli sort of like accidentally burns down the forest but that could have happened like much earlier instead of Shere did Khan he, did, did he cause that fire yeah. I wasn't clear about that yeah one one he was running with the torch and just like an ember fell off oh god 
Yeah, but that could have been much earlier. There could have been something right. where Shere Khan was just like that. Could have been the inciting incident exactly. was that he like did something with his Inst- tricks instead of having him be like Uncle Scar, where he's just yeah. like the thing that didn't make any sense with Shere Khan was he was like again like he was a super villain as opposed to like someone whose tribal tendencies like arose out of some actual observation. Yeah, where does where do we land with this? You go first. I gotta say, I was pretty unimpressed. Yeah, and, I didn't love it either. And also, I mean, granted, I watched Beauty and the Beast in a theater. That's definitely the way to watch that movie. I did not. Sure. I watched this on a you know twenty six inch TV. Probably not the way to watch it. Right. But I was not taken enough with the visual effects to like stop thinking about the ways in which it was annoying me and could not take a coherent angle on the original movie. So probably bad, bad. Probably bad, bad. It's definitely not um, as bad as 101 Dalmatians. No, um, that's that's a travesty. Um, I'm going to say this one's good, bad. Mm. I think it's like a, a well-made... I, I, I think it's the same thing as Beauty and the Beast, frankly. It's a well-made movie, like... But like not one that I'd want to watch again because like I prefer the original with the songs and like animals doing stuff in cartoon mode and like you don't have to do weird CGI and pretend it's like I just don't like playing this game that like is it CGI or is it real you know yeah like just come out and say it no this is a tr- this is a, a cartoon monkey this is a a cartoon elephant like it doesn't matter to me but like if you're gonna be like sort of that visually silly like just lean in. Or hire some trained elephants. Yeah, I like it. it. I like that as a take. I mean, it does feel, it does feel like a like a litmus test for a trick. Like, are we good enough yet to actually fool you? No. It's just like, why? Like, why would you? Why would you try to do that to me? Just yeah. It's the same sort of reaction I had to. Like, I didn't think that. Like, wait a minute. I thought Peter Cushing died in the nineties. Yeah. Like when I saw. Um, or in the seventies, like it was years ago. A long time ago. Like the same thing applies to this movie. Like I never thought, like, oh wow, how do they get elephants to do such a thing? <laughs> like what a well-trained. Like how do the tigers play fights? So like, no, this is a. It's a. It's CGI. Yeah. It's an animated. It's essentially still an animated movie. You're trying to create a beautiful illusion. So like, what's wrong with admitting the illusion? Right. Yeah. Why don't you just make the illusion like interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, like that's why those early CGI, like that's why I feel like those early Spielberg movies hold up so well. Same kind of thing. Like, of course there's no fucking dinosaurs. <laughs> like you have to do something, but like a mixture of props, like physical like sets and props. And like when you absolutely can't do anything else, CGI. Well, sir, I believe we've we've uh, we've come to the end of this money grab, <laughs> and yeah, we've been we have fairly sense of cynical ending. about it. Yeah, no, this is stupid, and there's so <laughs> many more stupid remakes coming, coming in the next several years. Pocahontas is no Mulan is next. Is Dumbo's in the works. Yeah, Mulan, Mulan, oh, Dumbo, and sake. another one. I don't God, know. If I hope Mulan it's a dog picture. A remake, honestly. See, Mulan's the only one that I think that they could actually like justify as live action. Yeah, that's true. Because it like there's like a like a battle. It could be like war horse, except well, for yeah, like not with the horse. Because people are the emphasis, right? And there's it's like a people. couple things that are CGI. 
Right, but you can do like the the dragon, the Eddie Murphy dragon. Sure. It does feel in the same vein to me as the DC and Marvel universes, which is just like, we will continue down this path as long as it makes us a quarter billion a pop. And they're going to. Yeah. And it's very, very unambitious in like an artistic way. Yeah. I agree with you. Well, folks, you can find our show, which is still the same show as it ever was. Show as old as time. Um, Yeah. But now you can find it at BeRealPodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at BeRealPod. Um, you can still email us at BeRealGuys. We're, we're the fellas who host the show at gmail.com. Um, and the RSS feed, it's all the same. But uh, keep being real out there. Noah? You too, big guy. Me too. Yeah. Wait, do you think, do you think are you Belle? Do you think I'm the Beast? If we had to say. <laughs> if we had to say. If we had to say. Who do you think? I think you're the bell. I think I'm the beast. Yeah. There's got to yeah. be more than this provincial life. Yeah. I'm going to make. Never mind. Let's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was gonna like, I'm going to make chance my wife. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be uh, Gaston and the beast. I want to be. I want to be. I don't know. Can I tell you what I was upset was missing from the Gaston song? What's that? Which is like the sanitation of the villain in these live action movies. They cut out the line where he says, And every last inch of me's covered in hair. <laughs> That's such a. Which I felt was so key to being like, Oh, he's kind of like a gross old man compared to Cartoon Bell. How did they cut that line <laughs> out? Yeah. Hugh Jackman should have done it, and he definitely would have done that line. Oh, man. Every inch of him is covered in hair. <laughs> It'd be so authentic. <laughs> Anyhow, buddy, I want to walk like you, talk like you. Talk like me, it's true. And I'll see you later. Until that that great moment, buddy. All right. Be well. As you see, I've got biceps to spare. Not a bit of him scraggly or scrawny. That's right. And every last inch of me's covered with hair. No one gets like that, Spawn.